Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, episode 402, we bring on Lisa Tamati. When you're in the public health system, you are at odds sometimes with the resources, right? There is only so much to go around. And if you want to fight for your loved one, because they're the most important thing in the world to you, they are not the most important thing in the world to the person on the other end of the budget, okay? So you have to know that you have to advocate. And that's not to say, you know, the, the people are bad. It's just to say the, you know, resources are limited. But if this person is, means something to you, you better damn well fight to get the, what you need. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp Podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Ben Azadi here, host of the Keto Camp Podcast. You can learn more about me over at benazadi.com. Today, we bring on running coach and mindset expert, Lisa Tamati. And oh my gosh, the stories she's going to share with you today are absolutely heart-wrenching and inspiring and incredible. She is somebody, you want to talk about grit and commitment and resilience and toughness and mental fortitude, this is the person for you. She is incredible. She's going to get into her backstory of endurance runs and some of the craziest races she's run all across the world and how to compartmentalize in your mind when things are getting out of hand and what she did. She shares a heart-wrenching story of her mom getting sick and what she did to overcome all the barriers at the hospital of conventional medicine to get her mom well, and her dad getting sick and what happened with her dad, and then her mom getting sick again. Oh my gosh, it was so, it was incredible to hear how committed she was and what she did with researching ketosis, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, and other avenues to heal her mom when her mom got sick. This is going to be super valuable to you. It was something that really was near and dear to my heart because I have, you know, sometimes in my head, I have regrets for not doing the things that I believe I could have done to save my dad's life when he got sick in 2014. And hearing her story really opened up a lot of light bulbs for me. Like I should have done this. I should have done that. You know, those regrets are short lived for me because I believe everything is on the way, not in the way. So I always take my place out of that. So I'm aware when I'm in that space of regret and negativity and I shift my thoughts, which is our greatest power. But uh, you might relate to her story if you've ever had somebody that you love going through a challenge with their health, or maybe you do right now. This will open up a lot of avenues for you and options for you and light bulbs for you. She's incredible. We get into her three books as well, which is Relentless, How to Master the Mindset of a Winner, and Running Hot. 
and also running to extremes. She's uh, an awesome author, awesome speaker. You're going to love her. And she's got a great accent as well. Before I bring on Lisa, I do want to take a minute to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Pop Punk Pizza Beard. That's a very interesting name. (laughs) Pop Punk Pizza Beard said, This show shattered my entire universe. Ben and his guests have opened up an entire wealth of knowledge. I wish I could have had a long time ago. In only a few weeks, I started feeling more energy, got better sleep, and lost weight just from learning more about my body and how it's supposed to operate at optimal levels through ketosis and intermittent fasting. Thank you, Ben. Keto Camp is a lifesaver. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're experiencing results in such a short amount of time. So kudos to you for listening and most importantly, taking action. You are an action taker and action takers rule the world. Not intention takers, but action takers. So congrats to you. If you have not left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating or a review yet on Apple Podcasts, please do so right now. It helps the show grow and reach more people and essentially change more lives. Before I bring on Lisa, here's today's episode sponsor. Did you know there's actually beverages that can supercharge your fasting results? My favorite, which is a keto powerhouse, is apple cider vinegar. There's a ton of research showing apple cider vinegar has been beneficial for boosting your metabolism, suppressing appetite, reducing fat storage. That's because apple cider vinegar contains acetic acid, which is a short-chain fatty acid that's been shown to promote weight loss in those ways. Also, apple cider vinegar is one of the best ways to balance your blood sugars. A study showed apple cider vinegar improved insulin sensitivity after high-carb meals up to 34%. We also know that apple cider vinegar stimulates digestion, acts as a bile stimulant to help break down the fat you're eating on keto. Another research study showed apple cider vinegar protects against mineral depletion. If you're like me, you probably don't like the taste of apple cider vinegar. I think it tastes disgusting. That's why my go-to is Paleo Valley's apple cider vinegar complex. This is an organic blend of apple cider vinegar and four more gut and health supportive superfoods. I take this before my meals. I take it before coffee. And this enhances my fast and my blood sugar regulation. You'll find it contains organic apple cider vinegar, organic turmeric, organic ginger, organic Ceylon cinnamon, and organic lemon. Since you are a listener of the Keto Camp podcast, we worked out an exclusive discount code for you to get the apple cider vinegar complex capsules, and all of the products over at Paleo Valley, all you need to do is head to paleovalley.com and use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order. By the way, they got delicious beef sticks and an awesome organ meat complex. Go check them out. paleovalley.com, that is KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below in the show notes. Okay, let's have a great conversation with Lisa. Lisa is a professional ultra-endurance athlete with 25 years experience running the toughest endurance events in the world. With over 140 ultra-marathons to her name, as well as national titles, a number of podium places in international races, and many expeditions under her belt, Lisa is constantly pushing the limits of human endurance. Lisa has also penned two international best-selling running books and is a sought-after motivational speaker, run coach, and mindset expert. Here is Lisa Tamati. 
Lisa Tomati, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. I'm super excited to be here, Ben. Really excited for it. You're living in the future because you're all the way in, uh, in New Zealand, right? I am. Yep. We're at the beginning of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you told me the future looks bright. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. It's a beautiful sunny day in the future. So really nice to talk into the past. Yeah. Thank you for joining me. I know it's Saturday morning for you, Friday afternoon for me. And, uh, you know, right off the bat, those listening and watching, the goal of this conversation is to really inspire somebody who might be going through a challenge, whether you are feeling depressed or you're worrying about the future, there's some sort of challenge you're facing. You're going to get so much from this conversation because Lisa has incredible, inspirational, pain-to-purpose-to-promise stories that she's going to share with you. So I'm going to leave it to you, Lisa, to start right from the, from the beginning. How did you get involved with what you're doing? What are some of those stories that you'd like to share with my audience today? Oh, fantastic, Ben. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. So, yeah, I've uh, been a professional ultramarathon runner. So I did uh, super long distance racing, you know, and expeditions and everything, the pretty, you know, extreme long distance was my thing. Did that for like 25 years, did over 70,000 kilometers around the earth, <laughs> a couple of thousand Ks in the Sahara. So I did a lot of uh, Sahara races, like Moroccan Sahara and Tunisia and the Arabian Desert. Oh, amazing different places on the planet, you know, Libyan Desert, Niger, Jordan, uh, Gobi Desert in China, Death Valley in the USA a couple of times, a fantastic race over there, Himalayas, outback of Australia. And at one point I, I, I ran right through my country, through New Zealand for charity, which was, yeah, uh, I don't know the miles, but 2,250 Ks in, in 42 days, which nearly bloody killed me. <laughs> um, which one was your favorite? Which one was your most memorable? Oh, I, there's a couple, but uh, Death Valley in the USA was a pretty special event for me. You know, that was a uh, 217 Ks, so 135 miles in the heat, uh, the hottest desert on earth. The funny thing is, though, Ben, I'm not a good runner. <laughs> and I want to I just st start with saying that I have no talent. I was not born with amazing genes. I was an asthmatic as a kid, uh, in and out of hospital, very small lung capacity. My VO2 max is a disaster. I come from Maori ethnicity, um, half Maori, half Irish German, not the right build, you know, <laughs> everything that wasn't meant to be. But the thing is, I decided I wanted to do this type of thing and I got good at it after years and years of doing it and getting experienced and sort of ended up sort of, in the, you know, number 10 in the world at one point sort of thing. But the, the, it's, it's a really, you know, uh, not not a super talent, you know. <laughs> and then I'd like to share, you know, like I'd love to talk about some of the learnings from from those expeditions and races but then I'd also like to talk about some of the setbacks I've had in life and some of the greatest learnings from those that actually aren't to do with running and my latest book I'd like to share and talk a little bit about that as well at some point but uh, without to give it all away shall we start with the running yeah let's start with the running but I, I just want to extract something you said you said you weren't made to run you had all these problems asthma etc you weren't really built to do these type of things. And you just, you said, I decided I wanted to do it. And you did it enough that you might've sucked in the beginning, but you got good doing it enough. So that's a key takeaway. You know, there's a difference between being interested in something versus deciding and being committed. And obviously you were the latter, you were committed and you did it enough times. The frequency made you really good at it. The frequency brought the genius. So that's a key nugget right there that I got right away. But yeah, let's get into the running, more into the running stuff. Yeah, the frequency is, yeah, it is like, it's, it's all about going all in. 
I'm very much like when you when you have a goal, right? When you when you decide, okay, this goal that I, I want I want to go for, and it, you you have to know how how much are you willing to go through to get to that goal? Because not all goals are the same, right? If I you know I've got a goal to a small goal that doesn't really get me moving and emotional, then maybe I'm not prepared to walk over hot coals to get there. If it's a big goal, then, you know, then I know I have to know that I'm prepared to go through whatever it takes to get there. So there are varying degrees of goals that we have throughout the day in our lives and, our, you know, um, over time. And we have to sort of ask ourselves, what you know, where does this sit on the goal radar? You know, how big is this thing for me? What am I prepared to give up? Because when you go, and this is something that people don't often talk about when you when you set goals, they don't often talk about the sacrifice that's required and what you're going to, what the cost of that goal is, because there is always going to be a cost associated. So you have to understand what your goal is, what it's going to cost you to some degree. I mean, you can't see into the future, but you have to know this is going to take time away from my family, you know, cost and financial, uh, time away from my career, whatever the case is, so that you're you're actually aware of what you're in for. I think people go mostly into goals and they sound fancy, you know, like let's take the a, a running a marathon goal. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, it's on my bucket list. I want to do it. Well, yeah, but do you know that the time commitment per week, the time commitment over the over the year, the the costs that will be involved, the time away from your children, you know, all, all of those things have to be added up and that's not to say you don't do it, but you go in with your eyes open rather than your eyes closed as to what's coming up. And then, there'll be things that come at you from sideways that you weren't expecting, especially when you're doing something new. You know, you start a business. I mean, and you'll know from doing what you do, I bet when you started, you didn't know it was going to be that hard. That's right. <laughs> you know, it's always harder than you think <laughs> and longer than you think. But, you know, going back to the running. I um, want to just, I, before, before you get into that, you know, I love what you said about understanding the challenges and the risks or the everything involved with accomplishing that goal. Because I remember Bob Proctor said, he said, don't ask if you are worthy of your goal. Ask if the goal is worthy of you because you're going to be trading your life for it. So is that, are you, is it worth it? That's exactly, That's exactly what you're exactly. saying. Yeah. 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 And then sometimes I look back over my life and, and the, yeah, the amazing sporting stuff that I did and, the, and things and think, hmm, maybe it wasn't worth, worth you know, the the price that I did pay for some of the things, you know, when I, if I could go back in time and maybe not do that again, um, and you're happy to have done it, but you think mm, maybe not, I'm not going to do that again, you know, and, and we and we live and learn, but you know, I think with running, running, if I can just take you back to a younger me, <laughs> quite old now, um, in my in my early life in my twenties, my early twenties, I I was with a partner, a boyfriend who was a very extreme, amazing athlete. And he sort of exposed me to the world of travel because I'd been a very much a, a little Kiwi girl in the, on this island, never had, had never been out of the country. Met this young, amazing guy and we got together and we cycled around the, you know, dozens of countries. We trekked, we, we climbed mountains, we crossed deserts, we did all this adventure stuff and he introduced me to what I was capable of. Unfortunately, you know, he'd had a very rough childhood and it was a very abusive relationship. I'll, I'll just say what it was. Um, and no reflection on who he is today, I'm sure. But back then, you know, that that had a massive impact on on me. So there was a 
there was a constant being told that you're not good enough, that you're hopeless, that you're never going to achieve anything and, you know, your, your genetics are poor and you're, you're never going to be a, a good trekker, runner, kayaker, you know, fill a blank in. Uh, I wasn't good at anything. So I was constantly getting this and I was very isolated. He was Austrian. I was living over in Europe. I didn't speak the language. I'd separated from my family, you know, all of that sort of thing. So w- what this led to was me being very, on the one hand, it was like being in a boot camp, you know, for five years <laughs> that I was with him, <laughs> um, going through SEAL training <laughs> at the same time, having an abusive uh, sergeant major telling you that you're hopeless all the time. And was it ver- was it uh, verbally abusive and physically abusive, both? Both, but mostly mostly verbal. But it definitely uh, a little bit of physical as well. But it was the that you're disappointing. You are hopeless. You know, you you're in, in this con and constant. In day and night, and because he was such a an amazing athlete, he did not get weakness. He hated weakness, you know. And it just to, I don't want to go into the details of that story, but this led to the culmination of this relationship, or the end point, if you like, was when we were crossing the Libyan desert. Now, this was an expedition that we were doing with two other guys, and it was the first time we'd ever been with other people. And we were doing a a 250 kilometer section of the Libyan desert. It was highly illegal. It was a military barred zone. This was the most incredibly beautiful desert you could have possibly imagine of all the deserts I've run. It was amazing. So we wanted to go there and cross it and write a book. And the partner was a photographer and, and so on and so forth. And so we started this this expedition. And as we had to sort of disappear into the desert from this oasis in the middle of the night, away from the military. <laughs> it was pretty dodgy, okay? It was pretty, pretty out there. And we only had two litres of water a day in temperatures of around... 40 odd degrees during the day and, and very cold at night. And we had backpacks. Well, my backpack was 35 kilos. The guys were 40, 45 kilos because all we could carry was 20 liters of water plus all our gear, right? So we, we had a maximum time to get through of 10 days, but we're trying to get through in seven. And two liters of water a day and 40 degree temperatures, if anybody knows anything about deserts, that doesn't add up, right? <laughs> it's not enough water. You need about 10 times that, you know, or 10, or 10 liters at least. 40 degrees uh, Celsius? Yes. What is that so in that's, Fahrenheit? Uh, Let's see. Oh, God, 140 degrees. 115 or something like but, that. Oh, my gosh. Let's see. It's, yeah, 104. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Or something, yeah. I brutal. Quite know the, the, yeah, brutal, brutal heat, right? And, um, you've got this massive weight that you're carrying and, you, and we had no maps of the area because at this time there was no maps of that area. We only had a pilot map that we'd got from the US military. God knows how we got that. Anyway, it was led by this Yugoslavian guy. He was a survival expert and he was the head of the expedition and had invited us on, but it was the first time that we'd been together as a group and the boyfriend was wanting me to help him with the photography And the leader of the expedition said, well, you can take photos, but we've got to cover 45 kilometers a day, which is what, 28, 29 miles. Wow. With these backpacks, you got to keep up, right? And so he was like, right, you, you," boyfriend said, you have to help me with the tripod and do all the setup shots. And I'm like, I can barely stand up with 35 kilos. Like I'm 58, 59 kilos, right? (laughs) This is like two thirds of my body weight. And he wants me to help him with the photography. And um, I physically couldn't, to be honest, and keep up with the guys. So this boiled over. So the leader of the expedition said to 
my partner, hey, you can't treat her like that. You know, you're being really abusive and this is not okay. And this was the first time anybody had said to me that this behavior was not all right, okay, because for me it was normal. And so these two, you know, alpha males, if you like, had a big fight. <laughs> and and this culminated and it was very frosty in the group and we're still, you know, doing our trek. Um, and on day four, when we're really massively dehydrated, I, I can't I can't explain to you the torture of real dehydration, like real, you, you can't, you know, your lips are cracked, your mouth swollen, you're, you're in deep shit. Okay. <laughs> and so you're, you're, you're already very short tempered. You're not in a good space. And when people are under pressure, you're not exactly great to each other. So, you know, put that into context, but these guys, you know, were fighting it out and, and I was in the middle of it, of course. And the partner said, right, that's it. I'm leaving you. The relationship's over. I'm leaving and you can stay with them. And he, he packed up his backpack and he left us, you know. And at that point was a real turning point in my life because I, I started to fall to pieces, you know. It's my first love of my life and the, he's leaving me and he's leaving me in the middle of the Olympian desert and I don't know if I'm going to survive this. The, the dehydration is very severe. I don't know if he's going to get alive because one twisted ankle out there and, you're, and if you're alone, there's no coming back. So I'm terrified for him and for me and, you know, and I, I start to break down and then I'm like, hang on a minute. I can't be breaking down here. I've got to get my ass home. I've got to survive. And I owe it to the other two guys, not to cause any more trouble, but to get on with it. So in that moment, I sort of learned one thing. I learned to compartmentalize and to really pull myself together and to be able to function no matter what is going on in my head, no matter how much my life is falling apart. And a very long story short, we survived, obviously. It was real touch and go. And you'll have to read my first book, Running Hot, for that whole story, that one there. It's called Running Hot. Yeah, good, good perfect title for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, running Hot, yeah, exactly. But it was a it was a time in my life when I, I got through that desert, the, the, the partner got through as well. He, he made it out faster than we did, actually. But I had physical damage, took me two years to recover physically. Emotionally, it's taken me a lot, lot longer to get over that. The relationship fell apart. But it was a point in my life, it was a low point in my life when I said, and nobody is going to treat me like that again, you know. And I am not, and at that time, my confidence level was absolute zero, you know. I thought I was the most useless, ugliest, horriblest person on the planet because I've been told that for years. And I had to climb up out of that hole. And this is what ultramarathoning gave me because it took me two years physically to recover. I had kidney damage. I had um, nerve damage. I had all sorts of problems afterwards. But a couple of years later, I, I was out of the relationship and I was hoping, you know, I wanted to keep having adventures, but I wanted to do it in a bit more of a safer environment than, than we'd been in. And, and so I came across a, a magazine article about an ultramarathon in a place called Morocco, which was, and it's called the Marathon de Sables. And it's 240-odd kilometres running across the Sahara, and it's touted as the toughest race on earth back then. And it's you, you, you've got nine litres of water a day, you've got doctors, you've got journalists, you've got airplanes, helicopters. It's like a big military camp that moves every day. And I'm going, hmm. I reckon I could do that. <laughs> Having survived the Libyan desert, same distance, only nine to, or 10 kilo backpacks. I got nine liters of water a day and I've got all that support. But now you have support <laughs> too. <laughs> support. And I'm like, hmm, I reckon I can do this. So I managed to get enough sponsorship, got down to this race, did this race, and it was life-changing then. 
because I was surrounded by these amazing people having this incredible experience. And yes, it was tough, but it wasn't that tough. You know, like I mean, it was tough, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Libyan desert tough. And I was surrounded by people telling me I was great and I was doing amazing and positivity and all of that, you know, and the comradeship and the friendship. And I just so needed that. And so that made me addicted to it. So then I just went from one race after another race and the, the rest is sort of history. And that's how I got into ultramarathon running. Very long story. <laughs> yeah, I know you're, you're like me, an ad- addictive personality, right? Oh, yeah. I, and oh, yeah. It's some, something you <laughs> want to put me. that energy into something positive. Otherwise, it could be destructive. Oh, yeah, it could but, be disastrous. But you said something. Well, that's an amazing story, first of all. I mean, incredible. Sorry, you know, you went through all that, but everything's on the way, not in the way. So it's all a learning yeah. experience. But you said something. You said... When you were, when your your boyfriend at that, t- that time, the first love of your life left, he's like, I'm out of here. You started to go, your mind went into this place where like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to die out here. I'm dehydrated. And all of a sudden you said you carp, carp um, excuse me. Um, compartmentalized. Yeah. Compartmentalized. That's the word I'm looking for. And you started to now control your thoughts and to, okay, what are some action steps, positive action steps that I can do to get out of here? So I love that you said that. And I wanted you to kind of give some coaching to somebody listening or watching who might go through something similar, meaning not they're out in the desert running and all that, but a crisis, okay? You just lost your job. Somebody you know has COVID, uh, whatever it is. like, And then you, your mind starts going crazy. So what are some tips you can, what are some coaching you give to that person for them to do something similar, to channel that energy into, okay, something positive that we could do to take action here? Yeah, yeah, you need to take control of some aspect of the crisis that you're going through. So when you're in a, in a moment like that, your amygdala takes over and your amygdala is a very primitive part of the brain that does this fight or flight response. And so you you usually, you you get tunnel vision, Your the blood goes into your muscles so that you can either run, it goes away from your immune system, your digestive system, all of these things happen within a, you know, a split second really. What you need to do then is you need to get control of your breath for starters. I mean, these are tips I didn't know back then but I know now and because what you'll probably find is you start hyperventilating you start using the upper third of your chest and this is telling your body that you're in danger so the first thing I do now in a situation like that is get control of my breath and by I do things like um a five seven eight count uh, of a breath just for a couple of minutes depending on the situation you know so um, inhale five seconds hold seven seconds exhale eight seconds yeah, and you really the, the exhale is the is the key piece here. The exhale tells your body you're not in danger. When you're breathing shallow, your body stays in that fight or flight state. When you're in that fight or flight state, your prefrontal cortex turns off. So, i.e., your logical, intelligent brain starts to turn off, and you react in a reactive way. And you, you've probably seen people, and you've probably done this yourself. Someone flips you the bird in traffic, and you you want to punch the head in immediately right because that's immediately the amygdala switched on and before the civilized you goes well that's a bit of an overreaction you know the the amygdala you may have gone you know fingers out the window or you know and that's a typical amygdala reaction right it is about ready to fight or or run so you get control of that. And then I like, unfortunately, I've had some really horrific family situations, you know, medical situations. Try to give people jobs so that they have things to do because, again, that turns, turns on that, that prefrontal cortex, stops you freaking out, and look for what you can control and, and really 
you know, focus in. And if it's something like, you know, you've, you've just lost your job, you've, uh, or you've, you know, COVID's just ruined your entire business, which, you know, uh, we've certainly faced this year with the stuff that we've been going through down here. It's like, okay, obstacle, where's the opportunity in this obstacle and how can I get around it? And instead of going into that freeze, oh my God, I've lost my job and I'm what else can I be and, and do? It's just start taking small action steps towards something is, is what I find is really good. So I'm a speaker and one of my main jobs is, is going to conferences and speaking. This year, there was no conferences in the last two years, right? Pretty much over here. Okay. Just lost a massive part of my income. Can't do that. You know, do I freak out or do I go, right, where's the opportunity here? What else can I do? I can start doing more online. I can start going into virtual. I can start writing another book. I can start doing, you know, brain goes into a hundred places and then you, you know, you sit and you work and you work through those things and you start taking action steps towards those, those areas. And sometimes you've just got to compartmentalize in the moment, especially if it's in a, a you know, medical emergency or a situation like in the Libyan desert where you're just focused on the next task at hand, keeping that breath under control and do what you can do in the moment and then look for help, look for whatever the, the, you know, the case may be, but not going into that everything. Like in that moment in the Lebanon desert, I was like for, for a bit there, I was like my relationship. I love him. I can't, you know, I'm going to fall to pieces. And then I'm like, I can't, I can't be doing that. And in, in medical situations where I've had with my family, where I've gone to the same, you know, freak out, which you do in the beginning, You've got to go like, okay, what can I do here? And I've got to stop the emotion. It's stop the emotion for that few seconds uh, or, you know, a few minutes in order to get something going that needs to be done, if that makes sense. You can cry afterwards. You can fall to pieces afterwards, and I typically do, in a safe environment after the event, not in the middle of the event if that makes sense. Now, all that makes sense. It's great advice. You know, the prefrontal cortex shutting off and blood being directed to the amygdala. That's just a survival mechanism because back in the day, that actually helped us. And, you know, now it's different because it's the same stress, or I should say it's a different threat, but same stress response. So I love that. And the breathing part is great. Five, seven, eight through the, through the nose as well is better than the mouth. Yeah, always through the nose, more parasympathetic. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job so you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy, so you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform 
every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You've went over the running part, which is your first book. And then now you have a recent book that came out, which I want you to get into, like why you wrote it, the story behind it. It's called Relentless, How a Mother and a Daughter Defied the Odds. So share that story. Yeah, so I've written three books. So the the first two were the running sort of stuff. And, you know, there were 140 ultramarathons in between, you know, there in the the third book. (laughs) Crazy. That's Um, amazing. (laughs) But the third book, um, Relentless, this is this That's one it. here, this yeah. is my beautiful mom on the cover. So six years ago, my mum had a massive aneurysm. So that moment that we were talking about, yeah, that happened where, you know, you 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 get that phone call, mum's collapsed, get to the hospital now, you get up there. And from the get-go, Ben, we had a, a medical misadventure. The doctor ignored what the um, ambulance thought she was having a stroke or an aneurysm or something that, of that nature and said to the doctor, and the doctor just ignored and said, oh, no, she's having a migraine and left her for six hours dying with an aneurysm <laughs> so and, wow. and at that point i didn't know we didn't know she was having an aneurysm yeah. obviously i'm sitting there i have no idea about anything i've never studied anything of this nature i'm taking my cues from the doctor i'm she's in extreme pain i know something's really not this is not a migraine i've seen her with migraines this was no migraine I don't know what to do. Um, after four hours, I rang a friend who was a paramedic and said, hey, you know the people up here. Can you get up here? And and something major wrong. I don't know what to ask for. She comes up and says, oh, stroke aneurysm. Goes to the doctor and says, no, in t- certain terms, and she knew the staff up there, get her a CT scan right now. And he's like, oh, oh okay, sort of shocked out of his uh, um, lethargy. And, and after six hours, let us have the CT scan. The CT scan came back, blood right throughout her brain. Massive vessel had burst the main carotid artery into the brain somewhere. ICA had, had burst. Anyway, blood right throughout the brain. At that moment, they didn't think she was going to survive, especially because she'd been left for so long. They start to hurry. Now, we live in a little regional place. They had to get her to a major hospital. So they said, right, we will get an air ambulance. Now, the air ambulance took another 12 hours to come. And she's, you know, hanging on for dear life now. In that moment, my dad, who's been a firefighter and he's, you know, the rock of our world, who's always a tough, strong man, he, he's like, we better start planning the funeral because they're talking about her dying. You know, my dad's just, you know, breaking because he's been married to her for, you know, 50-something years. And I, and I grabbed my dad and I said, Dad, she's alive, she's breathing. I promise you I'm going to do everything in my power to get her back or die trying. Now, I want you to get in the car, drive to Wellington, get my brothers, do this job, do that job. And he was like, right, yep, oh, right, oh, I've got a job to do. Back to what you what you said, give, give them tasks, yeah. Give them tasks, so he did that. I stayed with my mum another 12 hours, you know, panicking, you know. And in that time, I started to go, right, I have to be in control. I have to be, again, what can I take control of? 
in the critical situation, I couldn't actually do a heck of a lot because there was nothing that even the hospital could do until they got her to, to Wellington and got her into surgery and, and so on and so forth. But I started to study. That was something I could control. So I started reading about aneurysms, what happens, what the follow-ons, what the drugs, what the procedures are. And I started to arm myself from that moment on going forward with what I could be in control of. We got it down to Wellington. She was rushed into hospital. They did an operation, started to drain the blood off. It was then like going to be touch and go for the next few weeks whether she would survive. Now they did an amazing job. They did another second operation, did a coiling operation. She had another massive stroke. Um, she was in and out, you know, long story short, in and out of a coma for the next three weeks, hanging on to life by a thread. These incredible surgeons did an amazing job and she she stabilized and she survived this whole time on studying. That's incredible. Watching. Yeah. Oh they, my oh, gosh. Incredible doctors and so on. Great team. Your mom's such a fighter. That's oh, where yeah. you that's she's, where you get it from, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. She's a she's a fighter, all right. So she's 74 years old. She's now come through this, you know, crisis. She's stabilized. But she's come, when she's woken up from the coma, she's got basically hardly any higher function left. So she's not much over a baby. She has a couple of words she repeats, she's, but that's about it. She's got no control over her limbs. She's paralyzed on the right side. She has no uh, ability to control any of her you know, bodily functions. She doesn't know who I am. I look into her eyes. She has no idea who or what I am. So she's alive, but she's... Yeah, there's nothing much there. The doctors are then right, we'll put her into rehab and stuff, uh, but, you know, things aren't looking good. They bring her back to New Plymouth and to our hometown. We get, we start going through rehab and, and they, they're like, yeah, I can see they're going through the motions. They don't believe there's, there's anything possible, right? I start studying. Now, I've done a lot of stuff at altitude and I was starting to see things in my mum that I'd seen in myself when I had altitude sickness. And I'm like starting to connect the dots and I'm going, I don't think she's breathing properly. I think she's got sleep apnea. I want a sleep apnea assessment. The doctors are like, mm, I don't need that. What, what would we do that for? So I went and got an outside consultant, <laughs> smuggled him into the hospital one night, happened to be a friend of the family. So I smuggled him into the hospital, <laughs> did the sleep apnea assessment overnight and it came back severe sleep apnea. So she was stopping breathing hundreds of times a night. Her oxygen sat levels were down at around the 70%. So this meant oh that gosh. in the air, like deadly, um, in she was chain stoke breathing, like she was not going to be with us much longer at that rate. Right? She she was stopping breathing hundreds of times, and this was because of the brain damage that she had suffered. Right, and so we, we showed this to the doctors, and they're like, oh. Oh, okay. So we started, we put a CPAP machine on her. That meant she was getting oxygen or getting breath, you know, throughout the night now. Now that meant that she wasn't continually knocking off the brain cells that were trying to recover, right? Because you, you, you imagine you've got massive brain damage, your brain cells are trying to recover and then you're not breathing. So that was my very first one. And then I started to think, well, what else can oxygen do? And I came across something called hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Now, this is a very powerful, anyone listening to this who has anybody with a brain injury or anyone with cancer or anyone with uh, concussions or strokes or diabetic wounds, or look into hyperbaric oxygen theory, therapy. Very powerful, very underutilized as well because there's no money in it. Anyway, I studied this. They use this for dive accidents. It's what they put divers in when they you know been down really low and then you have to be in a hyperbaric chamber and it, it simulates being under pressure so 
what they found is that it's very beneficial for brain injuries. And it's used in, in certain countries of the world for that, and but not in New Zealand. And so then I had to battle to try to get her access to one of these. She's still in the hospital at this point. She's been there for three months. They're saying, look, she's 74, brain damage is massive. You've just got to put her into an institution. You'll never cope. She's 24-7, round-the-clock care. My opinion was that if I could get her home in her environment around her things with her family, then nobody can look after my mum like we're going to. You know, we're a dedicated family. And I just came up against a brick wall of them saying to me, you will not cope. You will not cope. You'll be back here begging. And I had this big meeting with the doctors and they were all deciding, you know, on mum's fate. And I'm fighting to get the resources to take her home so that we can have a little bit of support at home, caregivers and so on, for an hour in the morning and an hour in the night. And they don't want to give it to us because it means it stays in their budget, basically, instead of being in someone else's budget. And the, the, so we were at odds. And so what I, what I want get people to get from that is when you're in the public health system, you are at odds sometimes with the resources, right? There is only so much to go around. And if you want to fight for your loved one, because they're the most important thing in the world to you, they are not the most important thing in the world to the person on the other end of the budget, okay? So you have to know that you have to advocate. And that's not to say, you know, the, the people are bad. It's just to say the, you know, resources are limited. But if this person has mean something to you, you better damn well fight to get the, what you need. So I had a real battle in there. And we had this horrible social worker who really just wanted to stick her in a home. Luckily, I've got a brother who looks like The Rock, and he accompanied me to a couple of these meetings, and we got the resources that we needed. I won't say anymore. So that. he's big and burly, and he, <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> he's just, you know, great big rugby playing dude. And stand behind me, brother. We got resources we needed, you know, and that's not the greatest way to, to, to do things. He didn't do anything, say anything. He doesn't have to. He just, uh, would accompany me to these important meetings and that really helped and I got what I needed to get my mum home so the day I got her home I had gone to a commercial dive company who had a hyperbaric chamber because I couldn't get access to you know it anywhere in the hospital system they wouldn't let me even though they had them in Auckland and Christchurch they wouldn't let me have it for brain injury so I approached the commercial dive company. I said, this is my research. This is the situation. Would you let me use your chamber? And they said, yep, we will. <laughs> Sign a legal waiver. We'll go through the lawyers. We'll do it all properly and, and we'll let you do that. It's amazing people. So they let me use their chamber. So the day I got mum at a hospital, she's this fragile, you know, very sick woman, can't do anything, doesn't know anything. Take her into this factory, stick her on a forklift, stick her in this hyperbaric chamber and start putting her through these sessions an hour and a half a day, five days a week as per the protocol that I'd worked out. And in this time, just starting, 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 I know everything in and ins and outs now of every, every aspect of what I'm doing. Everyone thinks I'm nuts, right? Everyone thinks there's no hope. What the hell are you doing? You know, like, you know, accept what you can't change, right? And and I'm like, nah. I've been told my entire life, you can't run across Death Valley. You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, and I'm always, you know, proving people wrong. So I'm like, and this is just the next thing I'm going to show them. And I was all in, right? And in this time, I'm also studying everything else. After Now, after 33 treatments, my mum started to wake up. She started to respond massively to it. She didn't just get up out of her wheelchair and start walking, but she started to move her hands. Like she started to have a flicker of wanting to 
talk of wanting to, I can see she's trying to communicate and I'm like, oh my God, she's in there. She's in there, you know? And then I lost access to the chamber. I'm like, okay, right. Uh, it had to go off on a contract and I'm like, okay, obstacle, next obstacle. This is obviously working. I need a hyperbaric chamber. How can I get that? So I mortgaged my house. I bought a hyperbaric chamber and I installed it in my house. All things are not easy to do. And I started to put her through treatment after treatment and she started to come back very, very slowly. And as she came back, I started to stay one step ahead of her in her recovery and I'm studying, you know, I'm working all day with her, putting her through this protocol that I'm developing as I go, running five companies. I had five companies at that time. And trying to do that all night, <laughs> I ended up selling three and, you know, trying to survive and, and then, you know, rinse and repeat day in, day out, grinding thousands and thousands of hours of retraining her brain, keto diet, epigenetics, uh, functional genomics, um, natural health supplements, you know, you name it, I was studying it, functional neurology, vestibular systems, neurology, everything I possibly could to stay one step ahead of her in her, her rehab. It took me two and a half years to cut a long story short to bring her back to full health she after two and a half years she had her full driver's license full power of attorney she goes went to the gym every day she got up to walking about four or five k's a day and that's at 74 you know or 76 by now you know and so that's why i wrote the book relentless because that is a it's a mindset book it's it's a story it's our story and it's a lot of running stories in there and, and things in there but it's it's really the mindset that it takes to overcome massive massive obstacles and to hold the vision it can be applicable to any sort of situation if that makes sense just as a side note after that um unfortunately a year and a half ago i i lost my dad who'd been the rock you know the all the way through and I was faced with this other next horrible situation when my dad had an aortic aneurysm, which is when the main um, aorta blew out. My dad had been a smoker and I'd never been able to stop him. And, you know, it, it, it happened. And he, he survived the operation. He was in the hospital. It looked like he was going to pull through, but then he developed sepsis. And so after all the, the research and the knowledge that I'd gathered over these years, I knew that intravenous vitamin C and sepsis, so it was very powerful for sepsis. And so I, I wanted to do that in the hospital in the critical care he was in ICU. And I just came up against another brick wall of bureaucracy and they wouldn't let me do it, even though he was dying, even though there was no other options. And so I fought for 15 days against the ethics committees and the medical team and the, you know, I just, I fought with everything I had to get him because it was the only shot. I mean, the, the clinical studies around this, you know, show a 48% drop in the mortality rate if you can get vitamin C into them certain protocols i mean i'm sure were you sharing those studies with the doctors oh, yeah. like were they so what, what what was their reason to not do it i, I, I had, had professors on my side outside of the hospital right i because i'm really well connected through the work that i do with some of the world's best doctors scientists and, and so on i had the research i had they you know what they said to me we don't care about your research it's a legal problem well you you'll sign any kind of waiver or whatever to make i them... did yeah i said i would sign any quite and, and so i eventually silly. won but it took me 15 days to get there. And of course, my dad is deteriorating. And by the time I got the first vitamin C into him, he was at death's doorstep 
like multiple organ failure could die any minute by the time I got the first one in. And the first vitamin C actually started to make massive differences. His white blood cell count improved massively. His CRP dropped in half. His blood pressure went back up because he was able to hold his own blood pressure. And, and, and it were, you know, we were, I was like, oh, my God, even at this, like, death doorstep moment, the vitamin C was having an effect but you need it every six hours and you needed double the dose that I was uh, allowed to give. And I was, I had to have my GP come into the hospital to actually deliver it. And she could only come up twice a day and the hospital stopped me. I went through this 15 days, but they thought it was one vitamin C, like one infusion. And I said, no, I need this every six hours. And they stopped me doing the second and they stopped me. It took me 18 hours to fight through to get the second, 18 hours to fight through to get the third and so on and so forth. You know, so a couple of days later, my my dad was beyond saving by this point. It just wasn't enough, fast enough. That absolutely blew me to pieces because my dad was just, just the most amazing human being and, and we were forced to take him off life support and, you know, um, I, lo- I lost that battle. So I know what it is to go all in and to win and I know what it is to go all in and lose. But I can look back at that time and I, I know that my dad knew that I was fighting with everything that I had for him. I gave him every possible, you know, I, I just wish I'd had been, if, I, if I'd been medically trained, I just would have gone in and done it, you know, but I couldn't. I ended up in jail. Who cares? You know, like my dad was dying, but I couldn't. I didn't know how to do it. They had him 24-hour surveillance. They knew in my background they were you know, watching me like a hawk. They basically didn't want him to come out of it by the end of it, you know, because that would have shown, and, and, and there's like an 80-year history of intravenous vitamin C, and there's there's a there's an 80-year history of hyperbaric. They don't get the light of day, these things, because of it, there's no pharmaceutical company behind it. There's no impetus for financial gain. And so these therapies that are super powerful just not seeing the light of day. And, and I, so I've learned from that journey as well. And, and it was the hardest time of my life and really made me re-examine a lot of things. But at least I, I, can, I, I know that my dad knows that I gave it everything I had, you know, and I wish things in the system beat us in that case. And then late in the last six months, my mum, who, you know, has continued to do really well, she, she ended up with a brain tumour and cancer six months ago. Like you couldn't write this stuff. It's like, you know, when this happened and your face dropped and she started having massive problems. And again, I, we went to emergency. I said, she's having another event or something's going on in their brain. They sent me home. I went back two days later. I said, something's wrong. They sent me home. You know, like it's just still a disaster. I pushed and pushed and pushed, got an MRI. We found a brain tumor. We got the brain tumor out. Incredible surgeon team got tumor out, came back uh, an aggressive CNS lymphoma. Uh, terminally ill, she won't make it till Christmas, you know, probably. And this was October. There's nothing much we can do. She's too old to have methotrexate that would kill her. And so I just went, nah, not believing that. And I went off on this mission again. And I started studying the metabolic approach to cancer, keto diet, hyperbaric, intravenous vitamin C, off-label drug combinations, you know, you every research paper I can find on it. Took me 12 weeks and I've managed to get rid of the tumors that are gone. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's touch wood because you never know with cancer, it, it's a tricky beast and it, it can shift its metabolism. But, um, and, and this is where keto 
keto, if you have cancer, man, keto is is the bomb. <laughs> you you want to be on a keto diet. She's on keto diet. So did just, you give her exogenous ketones as well or just Absolutely. Keto? You did, okay. Yeah, because I was struggling and in her case, uh, being uh, with, she was on um, dexamethasone, which is a steroid, which of course puts your blood sugars up. So we were struggling and, and to do it naturally as, as in, you know, and we we're trying to block the glycolysis pathway. Cancer uses glucose. Cancer also uses fatty acids and glutamine so you have to shift your pathways you know because you need to eat something you can't not eat anything but fasting for periods of time and intermittent fasting and keto are very powerful tools in the toolbox so not the only thing but they're a very big piece of the puzzle and depending on your type of cancer and the stage it's in and, and how much if you've got cachexia you know the weight loss um, going on you have to you know there's a lot of nuance to that so you know take that with a grain of salt and obviously I have you know developed very extensive protocols and stuff for here what kind of fasting schedule did you put your mom on uh you said intermittent fasting and different like what are the variations that you use for her yeah so I I when when we first got the diagnosis she was on uh, just one meal a day of of salad basically that was it I couldn't get her to do the whole 20, you know, like she wouldn't do the fast for days thing, which I wanted to do, but I couldn't get her to cooperate. So the best I could get was was one meal a day, just vegetables. And I did that so that I could block at least the glutamine pathways, the fatty acid pathways, the glycolysis pathways, but still get some nutrients into her because you're also dealing with an 80-year-old now who needs her protein and she's got brain injuries and so on. So then exogenous ketones into the mix, which were really a, a godsend because that helped me keep her in ketosis despite the drugs and things that she was on at the beginning, especially, you know, during surgery times. And the benefit of that, you know, is the, the uh, lowering of free radicals and inflammation. And it's a huge benefit, especially if you're dealing with cancer. Yeah. Yep. Ketones cannot be used for fuel by cancer. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, tremors. And it also protects the brain because mum's brain has had a had a hell of a hard time both with the aneurysm and now with this brain tumor and a brain surgery and, and et cetera and had inflammation right throughout the brain again. The ketones are very, very healing to brain tissue. So you want as many ketones as you can get in there. And the, key, the keto diet for her was, she would do it to a certain degree, but she wouldn't go the full hog, you know. She just, I, I just struggled with her to, you know, and even though I controlled her diet. So, you know, we've made compromises over the time a little bit. I'd like to have her on a, on a more strict, but you've also, you know, it's her, it's her decisions, her life, you know, and she's very good, but she does, you know. Uh, so now, so at the beginning it was just vegetables. Then I've introduced, you know, a little bit of fish and a little bit of chicken. And we, as we started to lose her protein levels, so I had to get those back up. So I've used a product that I love and import now called Perfect Aminos. That was a very yeah, good, great product. Uh, I use it as well. Yeah, oh, brilliant, Dr. David Minkoff. He's yeah, he's here in Florida. He's uh, like four hours from me. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah, lucky. He's brilliant. And so that was a an amino mix that I was happy to put in. That's not going to hopefully feed the tumors. And nobody really knows, right? Uh, some of this research still is in development and in ongoing research. But when you start losing your albumin levels and your proteins going down and you've got weight loss going on, you've got to put something back into the mix. So now she has uh, a pescatarian 
keto diet slash keto diet, which is mostly vegetables, a little bit of fish, and occasionally a bit of chicken. And she's on a, a combination of off-label drugs as well that block different pathways. So it's not just about blocking the foods, but blocking the pathways with different drugs like um, statins and metformin. Metformin I'm a big fan of. It's a longevity drug. It's actually a diabetes drug, but it blocks the glycolysis pathway. Uh, with that, I'm sure you and I could go down the chemistry, biochemistry route um, <laughs> and uh, get right into the weeds, but that might bore people. But long story short, we're now, you know, 12, uh, so it took me 12 weeks to get rid of any sign of the tumors, you know, on her MRI scan. And we are constantly still monitoring that. And, you know, you never want to say you're cured because cancer, as I said, is a tricky beast that can shift its metabolism. So you've got to stay on top of it and stay one step ahead of it. And I, what I do though in these situations that I think might be valuable for the listeners is if you're faced with a, well, any sort of situation, but a medical situation like this, is you Gather as, as far as your finances will allow, and and I'll, and I'll caveat the saying this like I've chucked the bus at this. I've you know spent, you know I've I've sold one of our houses to pay the costs of of doing this. Okay, so you know not everybody has that opportunity. You know blah blah blah, but I've put together a team of twelve doctors who are my advisory team. They, you know, like I, I act like the CEO, I get the information from all these different doctors and they're often contradicting, by the way. And then I make from all the evidence and all the suggestions and all the protocols that I've developed um, with these doctors. And then I, then I make the decision as to what I actually implement to the best of my ability. Great, great, great tip and great idea. You know, Lisa, that is, um, I don't even know what to say. Your stories are just absolutely heart-wrenching, inspiring. If you're anything like me, you spend a lot of money on supplements each month. Have you ever thought these supplements are actually working for you? Are they attaching to your receptor sites and helping your cells do a specific job? What if you're not getting enough minerals? Or what if you have too much of something creating an imbalance in other minerals? Knowing this will not only save you money, but it'll also improve your health so you could balance out the vitamins and minerals that you really need. With that being said, how the heck do you know if you have a mineral imbalance? What I'm bringing you today is a chance to accurately test all of that at the comfort of your home. In this case, I'm talking about my friends over at Upgraded Formulas and their Upgraded Hair Test Kit and Consultation. When you discover the truth here and what's going on with your body, you can vanquish any of those hidden deficiencies that are affecting your metabolism, thyroid, adrenals, mental performance, endurance, strength, and sleep, just to name a few. I've had Barton Scott on the show before and he gave a masterclass on minerals. How this works is simple. You are sent a test kit and you use some of your hair. You just cut off a short piece of your hair. It could be on your head or pubic hair. You send it back to them and they have your results. They also offer a consultation to go over your results with you. It's simple, it's effective, and it's one of the best tests to know if what you're doing is working for you or not. If you'd like to get your hands on their deficiency test and consultation, head to upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 to receive 15% off your entire order. That is upgradedformulas.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP15 at checkout. We'll also drop a link down below.
you wrote your last book, Relentless, before your mom was diagnosed with cancer. So are you going to like revise it and do a part two to it? Because you got to add that story now to the mix, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, it, it's on the, on the to-do list, Ben. I'm not quite sure whether I want to just revise the Relentless book or write another. I'm, I'm currently writing another book called uh, Tough as ex- Expletive Expletive. Yeah, um, that, that explains you for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and the reason is it's a mental toughness resilience book and it brings a lot of these uh, things to bear in there. So I'm cur- currently doing that because what I found with the relentless, the, the, the story is it didn't, you know, like I wanted it to do more than it did because it wasn't a how-to book. So now I'm writing a how-to book, you know, from a mindset perspective. I mean, there's a lot of the therapies and things in Relentless and it's a really good read. And it's not just for people who have been through strokes and aneurysms and things. It is more for uh, athletes with their mindset or people that want to optimize their health or be empowered or understand the limitations sometimes within our medical system. You know, there's a lot of learnings in that book. So yeah, book number four is, you know, on its way slowly. And, you know, the other thing has been I've learned from this journey as I'm like, I'm 53 now and I'm, I don't do the ultra marathoning anymore. And people often go, Whoa, how did you, you know, why did you stop? It's like, because that used to take 20 to 30 hours of my week. And that was an opportunity cost to that, you know? So when mum went down, that was the end of that. And when I look back, it was high time. You know, I was 48 when I retired. That's, you know, probably five years too late, really. <laughs> but I couldn't let go. You know, I'm one of these people that I get a dog, like a dog with a bone, or I go too long. <laughs> so sometimes you need to know, and the moral of that story is know when to quit. And that there are times in life where you have to change and adapt, and and, and it's okay. Like I, I struggled with my identity for quite a long time after finishing my athletic career, if you like. It, you know, I still train like a maniac, but I don't compete in any any uh, way anymore and that's fine but it took me a while like oh my has been I'm used up I'm old oh you know that sort of rhetoric going in their head that narrative and it took me a while it took me a while to actually get out of that and go hang on a minute I think you did enough (laughs) yeah I think so too the thing about the challenges, the barriers you were having at the hospital, it's people who are facing that now the last two years with the COVID stuff, right? There, there are natural therapies and so many things that are, have been proven to work in barriers. You know, my assistant actually ended up losing her dad because of that. They kept denying certain things I kept telling her to do for her dad. And they were like, and then eventually he lost his life. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure that happens. That's happened so many times over and over so your story is very relatable in that sense i'm sure sure somebody listening could relate to that and then the hbot thing incredible what an amazing resource anybody who has an hbot it's very popular in the u.s i mean they're getting more available we've got the aiming clinics and all that that yeah i was just at an hbot conference in orlando this or last year i have two colleagues that they have a company called hbot usa and they put put them into like chiropractic offices and so wow take advantage of an hbot Absolutely. Because like you said, even just for general well-being and, and health, you know, and get somebody who knows how to use it or, and treat you the right way. But what I want to say, Lisa, to close out the uh, the conversation is here is just you are such um, an incredible, inspirational, relentless, whatever it takes, like special human being, honestly, like what you did for what you did for your mom when she first got the aneurysm 
what you did for your dad, what you did for your mom when she got the cancer scare, what you did for your for yourself, and just your mom and your dad are blessed to have you in their life. You know, to have that you fight for them. I lost my dad in um, 2014, and I didn't have that fight that you have, right? And, and something I look back and I have so many could have done this, I could have done that. So hearing you share that, it's very inspirational to me, and I, I admire it very much. And I hope that somebody who's listening to this and watching this, and maybe they might be going through something similar, have the same fight that Lisa has. Do whatever it takes. Don't let the block, blockages at the hospital or the doctor or the white coat tell you what's yes or what's no. It's your decision, and it's in your hands. I think, Ben, if I can just round out by saying, you know, like, this is the key, and this is not to say that doctors are bad or the, the, just understand the limitations of the system, the way the system is developed, you're going to have to advocate. You're going to have to push. Don't sit back and be polite like I was at the beginning, you know? And I left it up to them thinking, well, they've been to medical school. Who the hell am I? Don't think that. That's that's the, uh, that's what I did when my yeah, dad got well, sick. Yeah. Everybody does that, Ben, because we're taught from a very young age that the white coat is the authority figure and you do whatever. And in this COVID situation that we've all been going and without going down that horrible rabbit hole has shown this again, you know, from on high, you're told what to do and you've got to understand there are commercial interests behind a lot of these things. It's not to say the individual doctor that's standing in front of you is not a wonderful human being doing the best he's or she has been, you know, coached to do, but they have been taught by a system that is very much pharmacological based, that does not look outside the box, that is not allowed to look outside the box. So it's up to you then to take the wonderful knowledge they have, add it to the wonderful knowledge that other professions have, whether that's, you know, chiropractic, osteo, naturopaths, keto experts, you know, go go on podcasts, listen to experts in different fields, go on PubMed, do your own research. Whatever I'm looking for, if I'm looking at a supplement for mum, I will look up at all the research. I just go supplement name, cancer or lymphoma or whatever, and just see what comes up. Do your own hard research and you will start to feel more confident to say, hang on a minute, I'm not happy with that or I want to question that or why are you doing that? and push like hell for resources because you won't get them, you know, any other way. And, you know, I was blessed to have the wonderful parents that I have that, you know, gave so much to me. So it's just a giving back to them. What And if you'd had, you know, the most wonderful parents in the world, you, you know, you want to give them the best. But, you know, even, even me, Ben, like when I look back at mum having that original aneurysm, I was at that point in my life a selfish athlete totally focused. I expect my mum had spent her entire life taking me to sports events and supporting me through all my dramas and my sporting things to the neglect of her own body. And this was, you know, when I look back now, I go, why wasn't I onto her about her weight and her health and her, you know, why was I just looking at my own selfish injury? So we all have regrets. The thing is, you cannot beat yourself up. And I still have regrets with dad. Why didn't I break the law, you know, and go in and put in vitamin C and push the, the people out of the way and got it in there somehow, you know? So there's always those things, what if I, what if, and what if. But you have to know you did the best at the time with the resources that you had, with the understanding that we had, with the training that you had, 
But moving forward, let's open our eyes a little bit to the possibilities next time we're facing a situation. And that's what this podcast is really about. Yeah, beautifully said. That's a great way to end the conversation. Um, and so share where they could get, get your books, your website. You also have a awesome podcast that I'm going to go on. Yeah, welcome. coming on. Yeah, welcome yep. to uh, Pushing the Limits podcast. But share your other resources so they can check you out. Yeah. Pushing the Limits is a, is a passion of mine. It's a podcast been going for six years. I'm having Ben on there, so you'll better hear him on there. Lisa Tamati, that's T-A-M-A-T-I.com is my website, lisatamati.com. That sort of houses all my programs and uh, I do epigenetics, DNA testing, run coaching, my books, everything. Of course, my books are also on Amazon. If you uh, look up Relentless or Running Hot and Running to Extremes, so the, the, the third book is that one, Running to Extremes, they are on Amazon if you're in America. I know you guys love Amazon. Otherwise, yeah, just Lisa Tamati on all Instagram and uh, lisatamati.com is the website. I think that's the best one and Pushing the Limits, yeah, is the podcast. So thanks for that. Yeah, that's great. And you also have a, a great YouTube, which we'll put all, all that down below. So we'll uh, put all the links. Go check out Lisa. I mean, she's so inspirational. Go get her books, share it with somebody. And I acknowledge you for who you are. I'm so grateful we had this conversation. And thank you for the amazing, relentless work that you do in this world. Thanks, Ben. Um, I really appreciate you, your extreme knowledge, your big brain that you have, your depth of knowledge on keto. And I can't wait to share your insights with my audience because I need to learn from you. So it's going to be exciting. I hope you enjoyed that incredible, heart-wrenching, inspiring conversation with Lisa. You can learn more about her on her website, lisatamati.com. She also has her social media and YouTube channel, which we'll reference as links down below, and also her books, which I recommend you go buy them all. We'll drop links for you down below. Go show her some love, reach out to her, work with her. She's incredible. And go listen to her podcast as well, which I'm about to be a guest on, which is called Pushing the Limits Podcast. If this episode was valuable to you, please consider sharing it with a friend, somebody you know, a family member, a coworker. Copy and paste the link, put in a text message, and please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own. And this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.